Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. Today, we're back in the podcast studio, and we've got a special episode for you. I've got two very special guests with us today coming to us live via Zoom. We had some technical difficulties, but we figured it out. Always have a backup, folks. Always have a backup to the original computer, laptop, whatever you're using. Uh, but I've got uh, program manager, Vin Camp, with us. And I also have our run coach, John Honorkamp. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, our episode today is special because in about two weeks, two and a half weeks, we're going to be on the ground for the running of the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. And we are, to say we are excited is an understatement. I know we just had uh, a couple weeks back, we had our first in-person event that we put on here at Project Purple in 19 months, which was the Horner Hustle live in, in Park Ridge, Illinois, just right out of Chicago. This will be technically our second team that has run since the pandemic started, I don't know, what are we on, 20 months now, guys, 21 months. But this is really one of our largest teams. We'll have 78 runners come race day running the race. We're closing in on almost 200,000 raise. We hope to get to 250. So it's just so exciting to be back to where we were. We haven't had a, a real run team this size, this large, this magnitude at one of the world major marathons in almost 20. When we, when we run the race on 1010, it'll probably be close to 21 months, which is just wild to think about like how, how much has changed. And, and for some of these folks running, you know, this is kind of a trip. Uh, some of these guys have been on this team for almost two years because uh, I know the audience at home doesn't know this, but we typically kick off recruitment either the day of or the day after. I mean, some people have emailed me already about 22 because they're on list and registration has been closed now for about a month and a half. So it's pretty wild how long this journey has been for some of these people to actually physically cross that finish line there in Chicago. So what we wanted to do here today on this special podcast is talk about the course. Um, all three of us have run the race. And so this is a kind of, a, I like to say, a bird's eye view of people who have uh, run the race, do's and don'ts, talk about the course, talk about some other things. And so we're excited to bring this uh, to our audience and, and hopefully to the 78 runners on our team running the race who haven't run it before. This is a great way to get kind of acclimated and get kind of some do's and don'ts of the Chicago Marathon course. So with that, guys, I'm going to start all the way from the very beginning of getting to the start of the race. So in no direct order, uh, let's go to Vin first and kind of what are some of your tips to get to the start of the race? And let's assume, um, you know, the, the race begins and starts there in Grant Park. Um, there's multiple entryways. So we won't talk about that, Vin, but like, I know, talk about it from your perspective, from when you ran the race, where you stayed and how you got to the start. Yeah. So for me, I was a rookie. Um, I think I'm, the, I'm have the least amount of marathons out of this uh, group that we have right now, um, being one. And Chicago was that only one. So, needless to say, my nerves were running crazy night before day of. Um, 
and just figuring out, am I going to be late to the start? Are they going to let me in? All that stuff was running through my head. Um, but we stayed at the uh, loft, I believe, right in downtown. Um, and there is a, uh, what is it, the train right there or bus? It's right there and shot me right down to, you know, Grant Park and the you know, start line. It was maybe 10 minutes. Like getting there, I think, I know I never run, never run New York, but even just as a spectator in New York, it just is a lot to do there. Um, for me in Chicago, that was extremely easy. I, did, I woke up, walked down two blocks, got on the bus or train and shot right down, got off one or two blocks from Grant Park, found my corral and just walked right in. And it was, you know, as they say, it was a end of story there. And then it was, you were locked and loaded and I had to do the run. I was, there was no backing out at that point. Um, so being the nerves were so high, it was so easy to get there. It sort of just let me relax and wasn't too stressed trying to find things, you know, worrying about getting a taxi or a ferry or whatever I had to do. It was extremely easy to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same, I had the same experience. I, I mean, I've run all the world majors except Tokyo. I don't think anything beats New York. The worst part of New York is this, is getting to the start and hanging out. Although there's some silver linings there with all being in there. Chicago, I stayed at a friend's house who lived in the suburbs. I took a cab or an Uber. Like until where I until it got crowded as far as traffic and got got out early. And literally, it was pretty close to where I needed to be. Popped out of the car, walked a few blocks. It, it was just so much easier than New York. Um, that it, and then I, I think I had some like I might have had some VIP tent with like my former employer or something, but it just seemed like pretty, pretty, pretty easy. Um, and again, New York's just is its own animal as far as the start, but it you know, stayed at a friend's house and then popped in an Uber, and then next thing you know, I was in my tent hanging out, and it was pretty, pretty stress free. Yeah, I, I think I'll echo both of you guys there. I, I think, John, you just said something stress free, right? And that's like, yeah. you know, I, I mean. Every marathon I've run, there's always stress. And I've, I know, Vin, you said, oh, you've run one. and But, you know, I think those same butterflies or that same stress is there for every marathon, right? And that, that's something for me. I'm always nervous about getting to the start on time. Uh, you know, whether you, I'm like, damn, is my alarm going to go off? Am I going to sleep in? Am I going to miss my time? Um, but the, that's the one thing that's great about Chicago, I think, is that it's really easy to get to. Um, if you stay in the city or if you, even if you stay outside the city, um, I think their public transportation system does a really good job. Usually on race day, you know, they're running the L uh, a lot more frequently. Um, roads technically down at that, that you can get pretty close to the start line. But, you know, as John said, as, as traffic begins, the one thing I'll throw in here for me and everyone's different, right? Like everyone in terms of what the routine is, I actually, similar to Vin, like I stayed up in that area up by the river, uh, which, you know, is about uh, probably about a, a three quarters of a mile down to the, the start line, depending on where you are. It could be even a little bit longer, maybe a mile. But um, I use that as my warm up, actually. And I, I'm the kind of runner, you know, like I like to get to, and especially with Chicago, I learned, I did it twice, was just try to get there. Um, you know, as, uh, as early as, uh, as possible or as, as, as like, right. I'm kind of one of those guys, like the, the corral's closing and I'm jumping in like 30 seconds before the corral closes in Chicago, which is a little bit different than New York or, you know, some of the other races, the uh, Marine Corps and Boston that I've done and even twin cities. 
But so that was something for me, like I use that distance and I usually just carry what I carry. I don't have a, I didn't have a bag. I didn't do a bag drop there um, because I was staying local, um, you know, to actually use as a warm up, you know, or to get some of that anxiety out, right? Not to like, you know, run full speed, but just to try to get warm, try to get loose, um, you know, and then just jump into the corral, get through security, jump in the corral and then, and then be ready to go, um, and get that little bit of a stretch out. So that was something that, uh, you know, I don't know, everyone's different, you know, and I think, and, and for me that worked out pretty well because I was able to use that, uh, as a, as kind of a warm up. And the other thing too, is, uh, being so close, um, you know, even walking gingerly or, or bristly, I should say, um, you know, kind of gets you going and gets that blood flow going and gets, for me as an older person gets me loosened up a lot quicker than just kind of standing around or trying to do some static stretching in the tent or, you know, waiting for the porta potty or something along those lines. So, and I think that's the cool thing. I think that the takeaway here is, you know, getting to the start in Chicago is probably a little less complicated than maybe some of the other world major races or maybe some other marathons throughout the country. Let's, uh, Let's talk about corrals. Uh, Chicago's a little bit different. Um, you know, there, there's not as many corrals. I know this year is going to play out a little bit differently because of um, the pandemic and, and what they're doing from a social distancing standpoint. So I, I think the one takeaway, and, and I can start here, you know, for me was that it was very simple um, in the fact that. Uh, unlike, it's probably similar to my experience in Boston and also Marine Corps. Uh, New York's a little bit different because of how you're staged and then how you come down. But with Chicago, you kind of like get in line right away. Uh, so much of like, uh, not necessarily Boston, you kind of have to walk a bit and they kind of stage you a little bit farther, at least the years I've done Boston. Um, almost similar to maybe Marine Corps where you kind of like jump in um, at some point. And then Marine Corps is a little bit different. Everyone goes all at that same time. Where Chicago, there's a couple waves. Um, but I do find for me, when I did um, Chicago, the corral was very easy to get into. I think the one thing, and this is where runners stress a lot, um, is you can't go forward in your corral. And I know they're, they're really good. All the races are really good about your number. Like if you're in B corral, you can't move up to A corral. But if you're in B, you can go back to C, D. And as we all know, as, as I said, I, I mentioned before, like I freak out of missing the race, but if you miss your time, even your wave start, you can go in the next wave. Like don't freak out. I think that's something that runners and John, I know you, you and I have talked about this, like your time starts when you, when you go over that start line, not when the official clock starts. If you were in that wave one, you're, you're not on the clock sitting, waiting in the corral. It starts once your timing chip goes over that start line. Yeah. And again, um, and part of that is you're worried about maybe the, the crowd control or not being able to get your pace right away. But again, you've, you've plenty of time to get that. And to be honest, I've only run Chicago once. I have zero recollection of getting into the crowd, which tells me that it really wasn't a problem. I remember Boston. I remember London. I obviously know New York. Um, I, I've run Berlin, but I have, I, I remember the course in Chicago. I remember getting like, you know, I like, just explained getting there and getting into the tent that I was uh, meeting some you know, coworkers at, but I literally have zero recollection of the corral, which obviously tells me that it obviously was not an issue at all. Cause if it was a problem, I would have remembered it. So I don't, I can't even tell you what it was like, but I, I tell you, I, I obviously was not a problem. Yeah. I, I'll piggyback on you guys. So, you know, it was going through security easy. Again, got into my corral. I was in one of the back end corrals cause I didn't have a time. I, I was one of the last ones to go off. 
Um, but I, it moved pretty quick. Once you were in there, you know, I used the bathroom, you know, had my throwaways and they had piles for all the throwaways and everything. If you're bringing that, you know, you know, clothes, you know, but it, it moved pretty quick. You know, I think obviously a little bit of anxiety and stuff in there as well, but I, I didn't find myself like standing around a lot, you know, talking to other people. I felt like I got in there and it moved pretty quick. And then it was a wrap. We were out on the course running. Like it was, again, just like you, John, don't really remember it too much because I just think it moved real steady and smooth. I do remember I was, uh, since I, I was actually running New York a couple of weeks later with Caroline Wozniacki. So I was not like there to like race an A race, but I was like, you know, I used to be in charge of the pace teams in New York. So I was checking Chicago's uh, process. So I remember I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try to run with a three hour pacer for a while. And I, I, I ran with them. I found them right away. Again, I you can't never, you never know. They obviously hold their, their flags up, but if there, there were pacers then, and it was, I found them right away. So that's not always the case, even in New York is you can't have a, a pacer at every single spot, but I, I do remember finding them right away. And that, that just tells me again, that it, it was a pretty easy process. The fact that it was uneventful and not to remember much. John, you bring up a great point, which will bring us to the start here is pace teams. Uh, Chicago has them. So that's something that, you know, for runners listening at home, if they are running a particular pace, four hours, three and a half, um, I think they go as fast as like three, I think is when they start, uh, or maybe even faster. I'd, I'd have to look, but um, I knew throughout the years, jokingly on on our um, chair zones where we chair, I always yell like, hey, three and a half, catch 315, you know, kind of that corny joke there. Uh, so <laughs> they do have quite a few pace teams in each of the waves as well. But um, I, I think they, they may have cutoffs and that information could be found uh, on the Chicago Marathon website. But those are great ways, uh, you know, to kind of uh, find people within your pace group. Um, I think that's probably question number one that we get a lot of times uh, from runners, especially inexperienced runners, is like, hey, how do I know or what's the best tip to kind of keep me, you know, from, uh, you know, going out too fast or staying on a, on a projected pace that I'm I'm looking to complete? Those pace groups are great. And those guys are really good. I mean, usually at, at these large races, it's a pretty competitive process to be a pacer. Like you've got to have a, a qualifying time that far exceeds what pace you're doing. Um, so those guys are great in, in keeping track. And usually the other thing too is like, I know sometimes with some of the bigger groups and some of probably the more popular times, like the BQ times, there's usually two or three pacers as well. So, you know, God forbid if someone gets injured, then the other guy takes uh, takes the lead and, and moves on, um, but that's a that's a great bit of advice. So the start in Grant Park, I you know, I love the start at Chicago because uh, for those that have not been to Chicago, you'll see this really fast. It, it's pretty wide, right? Like the street is, I think, you know, four lanes, five lanes wide, and that's just one side of the road, right? So th that's the cool thing about Chicago with a lot of this race is. There is a lot of space, which is, I think, a little bit different than some of the other majors. You know, I, I know we've mentioned New York a bit, and I don't want to beat up on New York or Boston here, but, you know, I think that's the one thing that's really cool about Chicago is the space. And you have some lanes that are really wide, some that are a little tighter than others, because uh, I know there's always construction, it seems like, to be going on um, there in Chicago. But I, I think, uh, you know, there is some width 
that you'll find in Chicago, which kind of presents itself a little bit differently than maybe some of the other marathons throughout the country. And so I, I think the start of the race is really kind of epic in the sense that you do have that uphill uh, that starts that you go up because you're going up an up ramp and then you're coming down underneath the, the city a bit and then you shoot out and then you, you kind of hit that first bridge, um, which is a small, and then there's, there's a couple of left-hand turns. Um, but I, I love the start because of that kind of space, right? It kind of gives you that space. Um, it's iconic um, that you're kind of running up and then into that underpass and then through kind of the, the underbelly of the city and then you come out. Um, and when we talk about the start of the race, let's stick within the first like half of the race, like the first 13 miles. One thing for us that's really cool um, is this is the part of the race where we have three chair zones. So the cool part is that we are on the State Street Bridge, the LaSalle Street Bridge, and then the Wells Street Bridge. And the mile markers on those, you know, State Street's a mile and a half. Uh, LaSalle is just right at the, right just past the 5K mark. And then the Wells Street Bridge is just before the half marathon point. So we get to see the runners really in that beginning of the race um, at three different times uh, within a pretty short, short span of time. Um, but what's cool about that um, is that you know you're you're traversing over the river there three different times on these these pretty large bridges, which is a pretty cool scene. Um, there's some really really great parts of that first half of that race from Boys Town Greek Village, um, just going north of the city as they call it, the North Shore, the Gold Coast there in Chicago. Uh, for the most part. I would say my experience, that's pretty flat. That whole section, uh, I think most of Chicago is, is is predominantly flat. There's some sections on the back half uh, just kind of going through, but just sticking with the first 13 miles um, is just really cool. And, and just being able to go through the different neighborhoods, Old Town is another one that's just really cool. Um, and it's just really cool to see the amount of people that are out there and, and cheering. And uh, it's just a really, really cool experience. Yeah, I think this, the same thing on that first part, especially being a first time marathoner, it was it was good to see our group and the flags right away. Um, you know, there were, we, you see a lot of people, you know, and, you know, you start communicating with people as you're going. Um, but to be able to see, you know, you come around that left hand turn on State Street and you know, a little ways down, you, you know, you spot the flag, the project purple flag. It just gives you that little bit of extra boost. And, you know, as through go, it was going through my mind at the time is like, did I really just start this 26.1 miles? Like what, what am I thinking right now? Um, so it was good to see, you know, the project purple team, you know, they're cheering and the same thing at the three mile mark. And then, you know, you're out there by yourself, you know, with your own thoughts. I, I ran this with no headphones, um, which we can talk about later, but that was just something I decided to do to, to take in everything. Um, and I think, you know, you said that, you know, coming through all these towns, you know, as you, as you cross that second bridge on the south, you're going north and you know, it's just, it's open. There, there's the buildings, but then you have the water out to the right hand side and you're going through all these different towns that have their different like feel and vibe to them, which gets your you know, heart rate pumping and, you know, and keeps you motivated. 
Um, and then right around that halfway mark, you know, we're there again. So right when you're starting, when I was starting to feel a little bit like, oh, is this ever going to end type thing? Are we almost halfway there? There was the crew again at the, that Wall Street Bridge. And this gave me that extra little pump to, to keep going and, you know, finish this thing out. You know, I was halfway through at that point. So no turning back now. Um, but that it was, it was great to, the biggest thing I took away from Chicago, other than being flat for the most part was those towns, you know, Chinatown and, you know, all the other towns. And I think a little bit later, second half of the course, you know, you go through the stadium and, and bowl stadium at the time. And, you know, every town has their own cheer sections with their own music. And it, it was just good to have that variety. I think kept my kept keeps your mind occupied with like different things that are going on and get you out of your own head. Yeah, I think the uh, my favorite memory of the start was uh, just like you're in all the buildings, like you're downtown Chicago, and it's just Chicago is really just three out and backs. It's actually very I've never I've never spectated there, but like just Project Purple by themselves are in three spots in the first thirteen. You have to really time yourself well in New York to see someone three times. And here, I mean, I don't know what Dino, I don't know what you guys do spectator wise after thirteen because people are coming in different times, different waves, but. Looking at the map, it looks like you can easily, you know, go a half mile and, and get 17 and then come back to parts of the finish. So if you are traveling with people, it looks like you can see someone five or six times if you're, you know, if you, if you knew where you were going and you were fit enough to get around. But I just remember thinking it was really cool, um, you know, being in the shadows of the buildings. A, it made the weather cool. The way I, I'm not sure, I think if I ran 2014, I think it was or around that time, it was definitely pretty warm. And I, once you get out of the city, you're pretty exposed. So as far as like wearing a hat or, you know, if it's a sunny day, I remember that third out and back, which is obviously the, the third part of the race, I was suffering and there was no way to, nowhere to hide as far as uh, uh, until I got back to the finish. So it's definitely, hopefully you can't predict the weather and I definitely don't want you to, uh, looking out, you know, um, 20 days out because that's, that's kind of kind of wasted energy, but, and there's no sense of wasting energy thinking about what's going to happen. Obviously day week of, you start thinking about it. So you're dressed properly, but I just remember being pretty cool. Like, it felt like you were almost in one of those movies where, I mean, the crowds are pretty good, but it was like, you felt like you own the city mm -hmm. and it was really just a couple turns in the shadows of the buildings before you went out in that first out and back. And I remember thinking, you know, most races like New York, you're running to central park, you know, uh, Boston, you're out in the, the suburbs and you're running towards downtown um, London, you're out in some park and you make it working your way into London, Chicago, you're in the city. <laughs> And you go out a couple of times, but you come back. And I feel like that's pretty unique where the, you know, the gun goes off. You're like in it uh, versus like it being, a, it's, you know, a destination. It's just a unique course. I think at least as far as the majors that I've run, I was, I thought that was a pretty cool feeling. Just kind of running around the city in the shadows of the buildings early on. It was a cool feeling. And even the bridges had kind of mini carpets over them because it was yeah. like the grid. Um, that was kind of like the grid of the city in a way that was kind of thought was kind of cool. Um, you know, Chicago's flat. It's, there's a lot of turns, but it's not too many turns that's going to prevent you from running fast if that's your goal. Um, you just have to kind of be cognizant of like if you're making a left or a right, and if you're on the inside of either of those turns, um, not getting kind of crunched. But I think this year, I don't, I don't know what is the field size different. I know you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, on. so they they're saying like twenty five thousand to thirty three thousand. Okay. I think was the number that's been thrown out. But again, you know, given the year that we're having, and you know, I know grandmas, for example, um, had a thirty three percent no show rate. So you know, conceivably okay. on race day, you know, this thing could look a lot different than it has in your years past in terms of the size, which would bode well, right, John, for you know, going out on a fast 
pace, you know, or, or you know, having a, a PR kind of day because you're not like bobbing and weaving in and out of people, which we'll talk about a little bit later about kind of like do's and don'ts, right? And and pace and, and how you run. You know, to your point though, which is really like, it's so cool that, you know, you said something about the the buildings and stuff. And, and, you know, we've always said that like, you know, like Chicago, you know, if you look at all the, the big marathons, even like Minneapolis, like I, I did Twin Cities and, you know, you start in, you start downtown, you go out up into the suburbs and then you, you come back and you finish like in St. Paul, that area, right? Like at the Capitol and whatnot. Um, you know, Chicago, you always stay in Chicago, right? Like you go north, you go west, you go south, you just don't go east because then you'd end up in the in the lake, right? And that, that wouldn't yeah. be good. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of wild how you stay in the city the whole time. But for the most part, you're in a straight line. Uh, you know, yeah, there's some turns here and there, right? Like rights and lefts, but you're running pretty straight um, and it's pretty flat. So you, you do have the opportunity. I mean, if there's listeners here that have aspirations of, you know, BQing or, you know, running a fast race, I, I think that's a high probability depending on the weather and depending on how your day goes. Right. And, and those things, you know, even the, the most seasoned of, you know, veteran runners and professional runners, sometimes those things don't align, right? The weather and, and their training. Um, and sometimes they do, you know, and, and that's the other thing I think to take away from this. But getting back to the course, it is pretty cool how Chicago stays in Chicago. Um, and, you know, it's relatively straight and relatively flat. Um I, you know, what you said about the buildings, I, I just go back to like my experience and I ran in 14, John. So we were probably at that same race. Um, I just remember being on that backside, like around like mile, like 20, 21. And I remember seeing the buildings in the far ground and I'm like, oh, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And then I hit like the 21 mile mark and I'm like, shucks. Like I still got you know, five miles to go, man, which seems like an eternity at that point. But, you know, you could see the buildings in the distance, you know, with that, that epic skyline in Chicago with, you know, the, the Hancock and the Willis tower, you know, or maybe that's the, the I think that's what it's called now, the Willis tower. And then the other big building. So it's just kind of crazy. Like, you know, it, it is kind of iconic that you're, you're down in the city running with, uh, within the, the jungle of those buildings. And then you go out, you know, and then you come back and then you go back out again and then eventually you do come back. So it is kind of cool that you mentioned that, um, at the start there, how we're in that jungle, you know, in those buildings, which is really cool. So we get to the halfway point, you'll see us three times, which is awesome. And then you begin to go kind of West and there's some cool things, you know, I, I kind of say, you know, the halfway point for some people, you know, like people who've never run a marathon, that's a big deal, you know, getting to that halfway point mentally, physically. Um, and, you know, a lot can happen. I, I think there's there's a lot of fan support there in that first half of the race. Not to say that the, the second part there there isn't, but um, I just think like, you know, as the miles begin to kind of add up, that's when things kind of tend to, as we say, kind of like the wheels fall off a little bit, or you hit a wall and you got to make some adjustments, you know, find the kind of dig deep. Um, but that second half of the race um, is pretty cool because you kind of have, you know, Vin, you mentioned it, you know, you go out West and you've got what they call kind of their West loop, which is, you know, the United center with the Chicago bulls. You'll see like the, the, usually they have the mascot out there, mascot. you know, so the they, mascots out there, Yeah, <laughs> the mascot, the cheerleaders, uh, you go through kind of university village uh, where there's a university out there. You usually have a band playing out there. One of my favorites is uh, Little Italy. 
Little Italy. Say that 10 times. A uh, little bias there. Um, coming from, you know, an Italian family. Um, and then, you know, probably one of the most iconic uh, scenes there in that second half is Chinatown, where you guys come through, you know, they've got the the dragon out there and they've got kind of that archway, uh, welcome me to Chinatown, which is always really epic and cool. And then you kind of make your way through some other neighborhoods, through that other that other section there, coming further south, and then eventually you do take a turn and you head back north. Um, but this is kind of you know where we where runners tend to hit the wall. And I know for me, from my experience, you know, kind of that that twenty one mark, twenty one to twenty two is like right in Chinatown, and I I would say that's usually when I hit the wall. And every time I run a marathon, it's usually anywhere between like eighteen and twenty one where I just kind of like mentally, physically, something starts to happen. But I know with Chicago, uh, the cool part was Chinatown coming through there. And, and that's something that I think is really cool. And I know you said it, you know, in that first half where you go through those little towns and those, everyone, it's a little bit different. I think for me in 14, like Chinatown was really cool. I didn't expect that big dragon and just the, the epic you know, archway of welcoming into Chinatown, which really kind of re, you know, re-energized me to kind of get through that next uh, couple miles. Yeah, I think I, you mentioned with the wall. So a lot of times, the wall um, is 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 related to fueling. So I think it's worth mentioning if you look at the map, which I'm looking at. There is about I counted them 28 stations. Yeah. You know, so that's basically one every mile and a half. Um, and so that's important that they do have the, uh, I guess the Gatorade, uh, carb energy chews, uh, halfway just after you see project purple for the third time. I know, again, I, I've run New York the most, so I, I know that very well. I know, and that's typically like around 18. So you're getting those gels and chews, uh, earlier. Now, of course you want to carry what you need before then, but there is water and Gatorade at almost every stop, about every mile and a half. And I do, I do see the Chiquita bananas. It looks like there's four different stations, which are between 19 and 23. So again, if you need other fueling um, techniques or products, definitely bring that with you. But it is important to know the logistics and not every, not every race course is the same as far as sponsorships and, and logistic wise. So make sure you have a plan of, okay, when you're taking certain fuels that are either on the course or even more importantly, not on the course that you've been training with. And if you haven't figured out your plan you probably have, a, you know, you probably get one more longer run in um, to kind of like make sure that your gear is uh, is all set and your shoes are all set. But also, again, you might hit the wall anyway, do you know? But I think the, the fueling part of it is really relevant and uh, maybe it gets you to 24 instead of 20 with having some issues and stuff. But again, make sure you, you stick with what works for you and not listen to your neighbor or your friend that they, you know, oh, I got this product. It worked great. And then you're trying it race day. So definitely make sure you know where everything is. And uh, again, just a quick, quick look at the map and uh, you see a lot of great icons on there that kind of give you the lay of the land. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. no, I was just going to say, Vin, sorry, like that you, John, you bring up a great point. Um, you know, we still have a couple long training runs. And even on those shorter runs, I think, you know, you could, it's all trial and error, right? And what you prepare and, and how you do that uh, versus just showing up. It always, I laugh sometimes and, and hopefully none of our listeners or none of our runners do this is they just show up on race day, you know, not prepared, <laughs> you know, i.e. not knowing what they're going to have um, in terms of nutrition or what they're going to use in terms of nutrition. 
and uh, you know have a game plan for that and haven't tested that through thoroughly through you know the training runs that they've done um, leading up to that point because that that doesn't really set you up for success. Yeah, I mean, being my first one, I thought the aid stations were key, you know, and they were, and they were spaced out, you know, pretty well, um, you know, throughout, um, you know, I used the same thing all through my training runs. I think one training run, I tried to switch it up and it, like you said, you know, just, it didn't sit well with me at all. So I just, I went back to the chews, you know, I like candy. So I was like, the chews worked for me. I was able to suck on them. They lasted a little bit longer, but they were pretty like before you knew it, there was another like eight or Gatorade or something station there for you, which would as a runner, Again, being the first one, it was very comfortable. You knowing that that was coming up, it was almost like that was my markers, not the mile markers, so to say. You know, for me, it was like, all right, I know this aid station's coming up. I know I can get my water, I can get whatever I need, and that's what I used rather than like the mile markers, which helped me out. Yeah, the the, the aid stations are great. So, um, and John, I see here they they do have the Chiquita bananas. Uh, there from like mile 19 all the way through like 23, which is that extra potassium. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just know that, um, the other cool thing that I'll throw out here before we get to kind of like that, that last straightaway, which are like the two last miles is around mile 15. We're not part of this, but you know, we always cheer for, if you, if you've been out to one of our events, you know, we cheer for all charities, but there's a charity block party. And I know this year with COVID, I'm not sure how many charities are going to be out there. Uh, we don't, usually get out there just because we like being on the bridges. Um, you know, cause I, I, I just, we enjoy, you know, being out there, being able to see people three times. So, um, you do, when you do come through mile 15, which is a pretty, uh, pretty early on in the race or just after that, that midway point, um, is the charity block zone. So, you know, and, and that's the other thing I'll just throw out there too, though, you know, there's a lot of charities in the Chicago marathon program. I know a lot of them do similar to what we do. They get out on the course, they find specific sections and, and they'll be out cheering. And I, I think that's a great thing about, you know, this race and a lot of other races, but, you know, in particular here with Chicago is you're going to see a lot of different groups out there on the course cheering and, and use those for motivation. You know, you might need that at mile 21 along with that Chiquita banana, uh, but that extra, you know, flavor to kind of push you through there to that finish line. So, you know, the race kind of winds through, as we said, the north, the west, you go down south. And then at, uh, at some point around mile 23 and a half, about 23 and a third, you're going to take your, your last left-hand turn onto Indiana and then eventually onto Michigan. So really the last like three miles is this straightaway uh, to the finish, which is pretty cool. Michigan Ave, which is historic. You'll actually pass McCormick Place. Uh, you've got the football stadium down in that part of the the, the area too as well. Uh, but just kind of a cool finish line straight away. I know people in the past have, uh, you know, have found kind of that energy. There's typically as well, when you take that left-hand turn, there's there tends to be more fans because the finish line tends to be a little bit more packed, just like the start of the race. So just really, really cool finish. And then uh, you do eventually take one last right-hand turn up a a slight incline, which may seem like a larger hill than it actually is because you're at mile 26. And then eventually that left-hand turn to the finish line. Um, but anything to add to that, guys, in terms of your experience there that lasts like two, you know, three miles, let's say? Um, I, I know for me, Dino, 
like you said, out when you go south and that or west, and it, there are some I don't want to say dead spots, but it does weed out a little bit in terms of like fans and that kind of stuff. Um, so it was tough during those during those miles, but like taking that last left hand turn, like you said, down onto Michigan, it it picks up, and there's tons of people over there cheering your name. I had my name on my on my jersey, so people are like cheering you on or whatever. Um, you're correct. That last little hill felt like it was climbing Mount Everest for me, but then you, you take that last left-hand turn on the finish line. I think it was a downhill straight to the you know finish line and you know, you just cruise into the finish line. So for me, I know those last two miles almost felt the best for me. Um, even better than the first two. I was, I was in pain, you know, coming through like 20, 21, 22, but those last two, it, I don't know if it was the energy or just knowing that I was that close to the finish or you're back in the city again, like John was saying. Um, I think those are my fastest two and like most comfortable two miles. I don't know the rhyme or reason to it, but it, it was just that probably just want to get this over with type of thing. But it, those, those two miles for me were really good and memorable. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because usually when I have a problem in a marathon, like whether I've been undertrained or the weather or whatever, like once my legs go, I'm like done. And so I remember with Chicago, the one time I did it, I think I got bronchitis like that week, the week before, but I was on a work trip and I was coming back to New York and I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to run it. And I was actually able to do pretty well through 22, but from 22 to 24 was like the worst. Cause you're kind of going out and then coming back. I remember, I wouldn't recommend this, but I found like maybe it was a gift from the gods, but this is a random can of Coke on the side of the road which wasn't open so I, I definitely drank it um and i don't i don't remember anyone being there like it seemed like a dead spot as far as fans yeah. for sure and i was also hurting but the last two miles like maybe it was the coke and maybe getting closer to the finish i was actually able to like jog it in pretty well whereas usually i hit like if i'm running say easy math seven minute pace and then i like my legs go and I'm running 10 12 13s i'm done i remember like from 20 like two to 24, just walking and surviving, drinking the Coke. And then I was able to pick it up to the last two miles were like eight thirty pace, which is not as fast as seven, but like, I, if I'm dead, if, if I'm, my legs are done, I'm like walking. And the fact that I was able to run eight thirty pace those last two miles, it, it did seem like way more effortless than those 22 to 24. And again, that's my only experience with Chicago, but I definitely, the last two were actually for, for a race, not going as well as I would have liked. They were like the, the best last two miles of a, of a race that won poorly, if that makes any sense. I love it. I love it. I love the Coke and they're not a sponsor of this, but I yeah. love that, that product <laughs> uh, placement there, John. Uh, so you finish, they've give you your medal. Uh, they give you a beer ticket. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, Goose Island Brewery is a big sponsor. I, I don't know if they are this year, but I know the year I did it. And then I think you're not in your head. So last year or the year you did it uh, back in 2019. And then you're able to get out, I find, with Chicago, uh, you know, similar to a lot of big races, you know, you can get out of Grant Park pretty quickly and get to where you need to be. Uh, for me, it actually, you know, everyone is different um, in how, you know, like John, you're saying like once your legs go, but you know, I enjoyed my walks back to the hotel um, because it was kind of like that cool down period. And you know, if anyone knows, you know, I mean like naturally if you're running, I mean, we don't say, you know, if you're hurt, you shouldn't walk that far back or, you know, if it's a half mile or three quarters of a mile. Um, but you know, that active recovery 
you know, versus just plopping on the ground and, and just, it, I mean, if you have to plop on the ground and rest for a bit or, you know, chill for a while, um, you know, the walking is good because that's going to move circulation and get the blood flow going versus just staying stagnant and not moving. And then, you know, your body's just going to probably tense up. So I find getting out of Chicago when I did it was fairly easy for, you know, there's multiple exit points, very organized. It was easy for me to meet up with who I needed to meet up with post, um, you know, and get to where I needed to go. Um, so that in terms of my experience of getting out, uh, you know, was, was fairly positive and very positive, I should say. Yeah, for me, I mean, I had some some type of tent uh, access in the beginning, and it was one of those like, it's like New York is not like this because you yeah you, the tents are just a separate spot. But since you're starting and finishing the same spot, I remember like finding my tent and then waiting for like my coworkers at the time to come in, and you know it was kind of like so I don't remember exiting other than kind of meeting up with the the group that I started with, which was kind of a nice thing because of start to finish is the same place. So as far as logistics, it, it, there's probably less of them. Uh, I don't recall after we left a tent, like, it, again, it probably means that it wasn't an issue. It wasn't hard at all as far as, uh, I, I would say, regardless of the race venue or city, like have a post-race plan prior to race day because, you know, cell phone service, your cell phone dies during the, the race or whatever. You want to know, okay, I'm meeting people at the library or this bar or this subway stop or else to stop in, in Chicago because if you're delirious, you're tired, exhausted, and you're trying to like get cell service or figure it out, you don't want to have that extra kind of thing to worry about. So definitely figure out what your post-race plan is like the day before, if not the week before this way, you're not worried about it during the race. And regardless of what happens, if your phone doesn't work, you know, you're meeting at X location or X address or X bar or restaurant. But, um, this way, you're not, it's just extra, something less, less to worry about, you know, just throughout the day. Yeah. From, from my experience too, the same thing, it was easy. Uh, I remember grabbing the medal. I remember Christina, my wife was there, you know, which was good to have somebody, you know, I think it was a week after our wedding, I ran this thing. Um, but uh, um, it was good to have her there. And then I think I, I might've walked a little bit just to get out of that crowd, uh, you know, of that busy, everyone's down there. I think I did get into a cab because I started cramping up, you know, on my walk. So I got into a cab or an Uber, a couple blocks, you know, finish off to the hotel. Um, but again, it was it was super easy. They they seem to streamline, you know, the way out. I've never run another marathon, but you know, from from Chicago's point of view, I think it was grabbed your medal, grabbed your beer ticket. I didn't even want to think of beer at that point, but <laughs> grab your beer ticket and you were out and you know, enjoying the rest of your day you know, or evening, whatever it was, and meeting up with friends and family. You know, we had the after party in that year. So it was, I went and showered and met everyone at the after party, which was always good to see whoever you're with and have those people there. Yeah. Great points there. So, um, you know, just one thing, you know, in years past, we've always had an after party this year because of COVID. Um, we've decided, you know, the best thing, uh, you know, from a gathering standpoint is to do this the day before. Uh, so for our team, but naturally, uh, you know, people are welcome to uh, go out and celebrate, which they should, because uh, you just crushed 26.2. And for some of you, it's a PR. It's your first one. For others, it's a multiple race and you're still crushing it. So go out and celebrate um, as you should do uh, safely and in, in, in the way that you want to do. So great stuff there, guys. So great course review. 
Um, what I want to do now is uh, let's talk about do's and don'ts. Um, and I've been taking notes here uh, about all these things here and a little bit of tidbits that we've already thrown out. So let's start with the do's. Um, and one thing that I heard, John, you said a couple times, I know Vin, you mentioned some things, um, you know, singlets for our team in particular have gone out. Everyone has them for Chicago, so they should be wearing them, trying them out. First of all, make sure they fit. I, I put a thing here, dress rehearsal um, and prepare. And, and part of that preparation is gear, nutrition, hydration, and, um, you know, planning. You know, I know we, we talk about like, you know, the, the five P's they talk about, you know, prior planning prevents poor performance. Um, I think that can be said here, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I always like tell runners, uh, don't show up in Chicago needing anything. Um, you know, because I, I know the expos are great. They have a lot of vendors and usually there's like, it's kind of funny. I mean, I know this happens, I think sometimes with the international partners, um, that come in naturally, they're not carrying a lot of stuff. So they figure like, Hey, I'm going to get to the U S and I'll buy the goos. I'll buy the gels. Um, I'll buy socks and all that kind of stuff, which to me is kind of crazy, but I guess if it lessens the load on what you got to bring in, um, you know, but I always like to prepare and, and do that kind of, John, I think you mentioned, you know, dress rehearsal or, you know, plan that stuff way in advance so that when you get to Chicago, enjoy the expo, enjoy being there, chill, relax, John, you've mentioned this, you know, don't, you shouldn't go, you know, do a shakeout run on Saturday, walk a little bit, but you shouldn't really necessarily go sightseeing on Saturday to go see all the, the museums in Chicago and walk, you know, 14 miles <laughs> in that, right? Yeah, you want to save it, save it for the race. So if you're a tourist, that's great. I would use it for the recovery piece afterwards where you're sore, but you're stiff and sore walking around, seeing the sights. Uh, dress rehearsals, definitely wear the, I mean, you, you, like the shirt, the new Project Purple shirt might feel great for a mile, but you, you know, I would run it, get, get used to it. You know, sometimes the first one or two wears of it just kind of needs to kind of settle in. Shoes, if, if, you, if you have a, a shoes that you like, I mean, you're about three weeks out, so you could buy a pair now and break it in enough. Some of these new shoes that are all technical, they're actually designed just to put on your feet. And I was at the, I was at the Olympic trials, I guess, year almost two years ago. And there was definitely like shoes given out where it was just meant to like put on your feet and go. So I think that's more like technology enhancement as far as like being able to do that. But I'm still old school and I like to wear my shoes a couple of times, especially on maybe my last long run. Um, so if you are someone who likes a pair of shoes, but you know, don't, you don't want to run on a pair that's kind of beat up from all your training, you definitely have some, you know, a couple of weeks to break them in a little bit. So I recommend doing that as soon as possible. Um, and again, like it could be cold in Chicago, it could be warm. So that's all these things that factor into what you're bringing to, to town and having options of fur away clothes. And, you know, typically October is not too cold, but you don't want to be shivering, uh, especially if you're like, you know, and all the buildings are blocking the sun that early in the morning. So yeah, nothing new on race day is something you constantly hear. And that goes for fuel. That goes for socks. That goes for shoes. That goes for pretty much everything. Nothing new on race day. So a race weekend for that matter. I was going to say as per, per your advice, when I was running both of you guys, um, I, I think I ran my last two long runs were in my, what I was going to use on, on race day. Um, and then the night before everything was laid out. That was, you know, one thing I did, I laid everything out, you know, what I was going to wear, what pockets I was going to put stuff in. I was probably a little bit over anal with it. Um, but I had everything laid out the night before, just so I, when I woke up, I knew, you know, I'm good to go and was out the door running and made it just 
a little bit easier on that day off. Yeah, I think the uh, the one thing I was going to throw out here was uh, I just saw because the singlets went out. Some guy, a uh, male, wore wore the singlet and he got the bloody nipple. Um, so, you know, that, that's something that you don't want to experience on race day. Uh, the chafing, I guess we should, we should call this chafing. Uh, let's be, let's be correct here. Right, John and, and Vin. So if you chafe in certain areas, uh, make sure you come to Chicago prepared with band-aids, Vaseline, body glide, whatever you use in whatever areas that you chafe. Um, and that's both males and females because females chafe as well. Um, but you know, that's something to figure out. Uh, it's, it's, I, we're laughing here. You both know, like on race day, whatever race we're at, there's always some guy that's like, you know, bleeding, <laughs> you know, his shirt is all yeah. red from blood. It, it hurts. It, it hurts really bad, but it also looks probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So th that, that's an awful thing. You know, uh, I know I've been, um, you know, and this is the thing, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the don'ts, but the things to do on this note is, you know, naturally weather, you know, like prepare. So, you know, maybe it, it, it could be, it could be a hot day where you won't need a t-shirt underneath or some sort of compression shirt, right? I know in, in years past in some of the races, it's been chillier. So people tend to wear like an extra shirt underneath. Um, so those are some of the things, you know, to kind of prepare. The other thing that, um, you know, Vin, you mentioned, you know, um, with the singlet, but I think having your name on there is a great idea, right? Wow. Um, naturally the singlet says project purple. So, uh, for those of you who've never run, uh, a marathon before, you're probably going to hear if, you know, go project purple for 26 miles. If you want to hear go Vin or go John or go Dino, put your name on it. Use a, use a permanent marker. I've used permanent marker. I've used duct tape. Uh, they even sell num uh, like iron on, uh, letters that you can throw on there. So whatever you put on the front of that singlet, you're going to hear that for 26.2 miles, but that's a great motivator, right? Like I remember the first marathon I did, I was like, oh my God, like everyone knows my name. Cause a friend told me, put your name on the front of the singlet. And I was like, wow, man, like this is so wild. Like, you know, and then you realize like, oh crap, my name's on my singlet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a great motivator, something to do ahead of time. Anything else that we're missing here, guys on dues? I was just on the name thing, I usually don't have my name, but I, I remember from Paris, it was like one of these things where you could, on the application process, you could put something and I forgot I did this, but I put coach John. <laughs> and so I had a, you know, it was basically my one year anniversary kind of, you know, we, my wife went and we ran both out of shape. My wife was actually pregnant, you know, two months pregnant. So we both were not looking for our best times, but I, at the end, the last six or seven miles, I was definitely walk running and I had people cheering for me. And since it said coach John, people were like cheering for anyone's Dino. Come on, let's go Vin. Let's go coach John coach. And they, it really, it was like, I was disappointing them because <laughs> they were literally like, let's go coach, 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 coach. <laughs> like I was like, Oh my God, how do I get this off my chest? Because like the fact that I wrote coach shows that I was supposed to know something about what I'm doing. And, me walking wasn't the best uh, evidence of that. And I was reminded about it or definitely disappointing people. So definitely put your name if you feel like that's going to help, but be careful if you have a nickname, it, it could be used against you. <laughs> I love that. That's great advice. Be careful what you put on there. All right. So let's talk about some don'ts. What are things that right now we're, we're less than we're, we're like three weeks in uh, less than three weeks. 
what are some of the things that uh, our runners or runners listening to it should not do? Um, I've got one right out of the gate here that I'll, I'll go first is, and, and this could be related to the race or, or you know, you know, uh, pre-race. And, and one thing, let me, let me just stop there for a second. I want to go back to the dues. In particular about the race is to take it in. I know like those first year runners, um, and someone gave me this advice, like, just, just take it all in. Like, just realize like the coolness of being able to be out there. You know, one of the, the world major marathons here in Chicago, it's typically, you know, top five marathon in the world. I don't know where that's going to shake out, uh, come the numbers, it's usually number two in the country behind New York in terms of size. But I think the one thing is to just take it all in um, and have a moment at some point because it is pretty cool. I mean, I guess, you know, everyone, as I said, all deals with nerves and anxiety in a different way. And even for me, running as many as I have, I still get nervous on the morning of before that gun goes off. But just take that moment to kind of take it in and, and realize like how cool, how special this is going to be. Um, you know, hopefully get through that that 26.2 miles. So on that don't, I have one and John, you're going to, I'm taking away your thunder, but I had this written down first is just don't go out. And on that note of taking everything in, be careful from the emotional standpoint to not go out too fast. And I think that's what happens sometimes when you take it all in and you just like get really jazzed that can get like super motivating, right? You're like, Oh my God, man, this thing's awesome. I'm running the Chicago marathon. You got all these fans. You got Dito out there and Vin with the megaphones and the flags. And then we see this all the time. And John, you've been there at the chair zones in, in New York as well. Like, you know, the runners kind of speed up to us <laughs> and they kind of make like, maybe their pace goes from like a nine minute pace to like a six and a half minute pace. And then they're like, holy cow, like, why am I going so fast? Oh, I just went through the project purple chair zone. So don't go out too fast and like kind of try to contain that energy. Yeah. The one thing I did on that, and I ran into this in my training runs, cause I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm competitive. Um, but being that this is, I'm not a runner. Um, I was re really worrying about my timing too much, even during my training runs, John, I think I talked to you about this a few times and I don't know if it was you or somebody else that gave me the advice, um, that I just looked at my heart rate rather than the pacing. Um, at that point I didn't really care about my time, but I knew if I looked at it, I was doing an eight minute mile or nine, I was like, Oh, I can go faster. I can go faster. Whereas if I looked at my heart rate, I tend, I was like, Oh, I need to be at 130, 140, whatever it was. And I stayed within that window the entire race. Um, so staying on that, you know, you can, I found it easier to not worry about my pacing, just keep my eye on that heart rate. Cause it kept me level and, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if that thing jacked up, I knew I was going way too fast. Um, you know, so I you know, piggyback on that, you know, it's like, don't worry, you take it all in. Like you said, you know, that's why I ran it with no headphones because I wanted to experience it, but you know, just don't go out too hot because that could bite you for sure. And that I ran into that on my training runs. <laughs> yeah. Every, you know, people don't realize marathon pace is easy. It's just hard to do for 26.2 miles. So yeah. just if you're like used to training at eight, nine minute pace and then all of a sudden you run seven thirties because I would say the magic of the day, which yeah. gets you through, but also could really hurt you out of the gates where I know so many people were like trying to run eight, say eight minute pace and they're running six thirties feeling great. Yeah. That does not end well no. ever, no. ever, <laughs> never ends well. Um, so 
definitely, if you're thinking of running, trying to break four, don't try to break 330 just because you felt good the first 5K. Mm-hmm. So it's really just really important. In a bigger city marathon with more crowd and more pomp and circumstance um, will lend itself to have more potential to go out too fast. So I always say curb that enthusiasm, save it towards the end, take it all in, uh, run off of effort or heart rate's a great, a great point. Um, since we're a couple of weeks out, I'm not sure when this is airing, Dino. Don't try to jam in all the tra- – if you missed any training, it's not going to help to jam it in. It's not a final exam. You can you can cram for a final exam, but not not this type of final exam. So, yeah, you can do a one more long run or two more long runs and maybe do some pace work. Definitely run to, 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 to test out new gear, new shoes. But if you missed some training runs, this is not the time to kind of make up for lost time. Uh, it is what it is. You're not going to get much fitter in the next three weeks, but um, – you could do some things in the next three weeks, but it's not going to really be an increased fitness. Um, so don't, don't kind of don't, that's a big don't if, since we're talking this far out. John, that's a, and I got my second point here is overthink things. And that that's right there, you know, with that. And I think, you know, with that point, you know, you always say the haze in the barn, right? Like at this point, you know, once you get through that long run and you hit taper town, you know, two weeks prior, um, or, you know, if you're doing a week taper, some people do two weeks, some people do a week, you know, the work is done, right? So like you get to race day, you know, you've done everything, you know, you're there. So don't overthink it. Um, you know, you've put the training in and, and the cards, you know, lie where they lie. Now the weather could be hot. It could be cold. Your body could, you know, adjust itself accordingly, um, to that, you know, depending on how it rolls, uh, you know, well, those things you can't control, but you've put the, the work in, um, you know, the one thing about overthinking and, and don'ts, uh, you know, this has happened a couple of times and, you know, everyone's different, but, uh, you know, I think I mentioned this before, you know, about going sightseeing the day before same could be said for, you know, what you do that night before, uh, I, I never really sleep great the night before, but leading up, I try to get like a good week's uh, sleep, you know, so I have some sleep in the bank. Um, and also I try not to like party like that during that week too, as well. I know we've had runners go out the night before cause you know, which is kind of crazy, but Hey, it works for them. Um, you know, they do say, I know we, we've had our team dinners, which we, we won't have a team dinner this year just because of COVID in the pandemic. But, you know, in years past, we've always recommended like having one glass of wine to maybe chill the nerves and just to kind of put you in kind of a cool state or a glass of beer to kind of have that kind of like mind altering, you know, effect of just like chilling you out a bit. Um, you know, that's, that's recommended. I've seen that a couple of times, uh, or, or we've used that, but, you know, just don't go out and party the whole night and, uh, you know, go on a bender, you know, the night before a marathon, that's not a good thing that happens because you want to be ready, uh, for that morning. Anything else, guys, uh, with regards to this? I, I I know I just mentioned the night before a little bit about sleep, and you know I I tend to have a hard time sleeping the night before. I'm, I'm sure that's just nerves and everything. Uh, but anything else, do's or don'ts that we should mention to the listeners at home about you know the night before the week leading up to this marathon. Um, one thing for me um, was the morning of nutrition. Um, cause obviously during the training runs, I would have breakfast and it would be a decent breakfast. Like, and cause I wasn't running too, too early or whatever it was. Um, my uh, suggestion that it worked for me was, you know, I walked down and walked across the street. I think I got a little thing of oatmeal or a banana or something, nothing too heavy, you know, for that morning, um, 
for that morning breakfast, you know, of because you want to be filled because you're going to be in that corral, depending on when you get there, you could potentially be in that corral for a while. If you don't have any food, you, you don't want obviously don't want to go out on an empty stomach per se. Um, but don't, I wouldn't load up on a lot of food that morning, just get something satisfy, you know, some carbs that can keep you going. Like, that's why I did oatmeal, you know, that could just give me a little bit of boost before these aid stations kind of came. And then one other, I guess, do for the newcomers out there or the first timers, um, Dino, you suggested this to me, so I'll, I'll take it from you was to walk the aid stations. Um, you know, I would get to an aid station and grab my water and I'd walk till the end of that aid station or, you know, refreshment station or whatever it was. And then I'd pick up that jog or that run again. And I'd get to that next one and it would, I'd be like, okay, here it is. I'd walk the length of it and then start running again, which, you know, gave me that break here and there, um, as a first timer. So, um, that worked for me. I didn't necessarily do it in training runs, but day of, I, you know, I knew, I knew in the training runs, I had it in me to run that whole time. Um, but it just gave me that little break during, you know, that whole period. And I knew there was going to be however many there are on there, 16, 13. I knew I was going to have that many spots to, you know, collect my thoughts, let the legs, you know, ease up a little bit and then continue on. Yeah. I would just add the two things real quick. One being like, again, maybe it's a little different with COVID where maybe your whole entourage isn't flying to the city like in past years. But if you have a decent sized group tracking you or traveling with you, like designate someone to be the point person, especially like night of, definitely morning of. So you're not wasting energy on like, oh, how is Uncle Harry going to get to 13 because there's a bridge and he's in a wheelchair or he's whatever the circumstances are, your wife, your friend, your someone, not you to kind of manage some of that stuff that doesn't really, you can they, someone else can handle. You don't have to sit there text all morning and be worried about stuff. And that goes through, you know, night before and morning of for sure. And then another thing with the pace teams, they're there to help you, but it also can add more stress. If I got to find one or the right one is not in my corral. I, you can often find your own pace team by just talking to your neighbor in the corral. Hey, what are you looking to run? Okay. Uh, it's amazing how you, you sometimes you'll see the same people and over and over again, cause you're running. Maybe you have a good pocket and they have a good pocket. So use the pace teams if they're near you. Uh, if, but if you can't find one or one's not synced up exactly, that just becomes a negative to your race if you're panicking about it. If it's there, use it. I also think if you are, if you do find one, everyone seems to. And I've done. I've I've been in charge of pace teams in major races. I've I've paced. People feel like they have to be glued to the pacer to to use to utilize the pacer. You can utilize the pacer and be 400 meters away and still kind of kind of see them. It often will pack up, especially at the uh, the three hour and the three thirty, the BQ, BQ times. Um, I think actually some of the, la the latter pace groups are a lot more fun because <laughs> it's like more of a chill atmosphere versus oh, I got to run my time. But I, I've had people like really kind of the pace teams has actually adversely affected them because a they couldn't find them or they were trying to be glued to them or maybe they were trying to run a pace that was like a little bit too far out of reach and it just was like not the best experience. So I would just say you can easily find your own pace team. Your pace your pace group to be just one other person that you met. And they're trying to run sub four and you kind of talk and you're feeling the good. So don't be afraid to talk to people, uh, A, just because it's a nice thing to do and you're, you're doing this with a bunch of people. But also um, you want things to be positives in the morning and not like stresses. So whether that's someone else taking care of, of uh, all the busy work with uh, logistics, uh, farm that out. And then race day, make sure you're, you're surrounding yourself. If some person is really annoying and like fidgety, sit somewhere else. <laughs> I don't want to be there. No offense to that guy, but 
I want to like relax and be in my Zen like state, not be like talking a mile a minute or, you know, so just got to find what works with you and, and, and don't overdo it race morning. Cause that, you, know, you want to save that energy for those, those last few miles. Awesome guys. Some great tips and tricks, do's and don'ts. Awesome to have you guys here on this podcast, a special podcast talking about Chicago marathon preview about the course, what to do, what not to do. Guys, we're less than uh, three weeks to go. It's a go time, man. So we cannot wait. Uh, for those listening at home, if you're in the Chicago land area, if you're coming out, come chair with us. We'll be on State, LaSalle, and Wells on the bridges. Look for the Project Purple Flags. Listen for the megaphones. We might have some music. Who knows? There's still a lot of time to secure that. And uh, we cannot wait for October 10th. This is going to be awesome. Our largest team in 20 months, 20 plus months here running the Chicago Marathon in 2021 in person. Cannot wait. We cannot wait for this. Coach John, thanks for all you do to get our runners ready uh, for our marathons. For all of our teams, you do a great job. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for all the support. Wore his Project Purple shirt today, even though we're not recording video, but how about that? Coach Vin, he's got Project Purple on, but he works here, so he should. Uh, Vin, thanks for for all you do for running our programs, uh, coaching our push-pull participants through there, and and has run a marathon once, maybe twice. This one's special. I don't don't go. You already did that to me once. That's how I got into the first one. But this one's special to me because I my first marathon as as working for Project Purple was Chicago. I That's two right. three weeks after after I came on, and then I got sucked into running one two years after that. So this is special. It's it's going to hold something special to me to be out there live again. It seems to be like this two year thing. You know, when I started, then I ran it in nineteen and back out there live in twenty one. So I'm excited. You know, for everyone running on our team, and there's proof that I ran it right there. I, me in the office. There. Yeah. So <laughs> there I, I know we can't see this uh, on our podcast, but we've got a large life size cutout here of Coach Vin <laughs> that I'm putting in the video here from his Chicago Marathon debut back in 2019. So this is our our Vin cutout in the office that we have here on our podcast. So. Uh, thank you guys both for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a great episode. We cannot wait. We're down to the wire here. As John, as you say, the hay is in the barn at this point. Or it's not, and you can't worry about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, wherever you listen to podcasts, feel free to download our podcast and feel free to share this podcast with others. Thank you for listening. Be safe. And that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Mm-hmm.